We've been reading, uh, again, the life of Jacob, and I, I really identify with this guy. I, I, love, I love his heart and his tenacity, his type A mentality, but he's got a sensitivity towards the world and things around him. He's, uh, he's probably fearful like his grandfather. He, he gets into circumstances and tries to manipulate him to uh, make things happen so he can get a blessing, and then once he gets exposed, he runs. He runs to the hills. He did this with Esau when he was 70-something or 60-something, I can't remember, uh, his twin brother. And his twin brother was the, the, the older brother. Esau was the older brother, and he had the birthright, and he had the blessing. Uh, they were his as the oldest. The birthright was given to the older son that would be the patriarch, and he was given kind of extra stuff, extra money, extra everything, so that he could in turn take that and and hold the responsibility of taking care of the family. Well, uh, this was given from the father, the patriarch, to this firstborn, and as you remember, Jacob pretended to be Esau, came in and stole that from him, and it could, it's irrevocable. He went and ran away, and he ran to his cousin, I mean, his uncle Laban's house at the direction of his mom and dad, because Esau was going to kill him. And so he spent 20 years in this faraway land. On his way to this place, he ran into the Lord, and he put his, he was weary and exhausted in this place called Luz, and I repeat this every week, and that word Luz means separated. And he felt separated from the Lord, and that's where he actually met the Lord. The Lord met him. He put his head down upon the rock, and God gave him a vision of a stairway or a ladder to heaven, and angels ascending and descending, very powerful uh, picture to him. And he woke up and said, this place is no longer lies. It's no longer, I'm separate from God. It's now I'm in the house of God, Bethel. And so he experienced, he was kind of brought into the family. He was now kind of converted, so to speak. He, was, he had now had a relationship. He woke up to the fact that God was with him. And he started to worship. He started to give. He started to change. Now, was, was, was Jacob fully sanctified yet? No, this is a lifetime process. Sanctified being a Christianese word, meaning molded into the image of Christ Jesus, so to speak. This is the process that each of us are going through in our whole lives, and it will be completed on that day when we go home to see the Lord. But as we walk with the Lord further and further, the old man, outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. So 20 years later, after a bunch of situations, he has his wife, he has his wives, excuse me, his four wives now, and all his kids. He leaves Uncle Laban's, he runs away from him, and he is on his way back to the promised land. And he has to face his brother Esau. That's where Esau is, and he's going he's gonna to meet him. And so this, this situation in his life has been, hasn't been dealt with. And as he goes back to the promised land, he knows he's going to meet his brother on the other side. And so he, Jacob, goes back to his default here and starts devising a plan on how he's going to gain his brother's favor. And so he starts sending wave after wave after wave after wave of gifts in this long procession towards his brother. And then the night before he crosses over and he's going to go himself, he meets the Lord in chapter 32, 22. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his wives, his two maidservants and his eleven sons, and they crossed the ford, Jabbok, which means emptying. 
This is going to be a literal emptying in his life. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, and so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. We find out this man is the Lord. And when he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, speaking of hips, so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. He had a dislocated hip, and he kept wrestling with this man. And the man said, hey, let me go. It's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not leaving this place until you bless me. And the man asked him, what's your name? And he answered, Jacob. See, Jacob had been trying to manipulate circumstances and people to gain the blessing that only God could give. He was trying to extract it out of man. And once he came to the place where he realized that the blessing he sought wasn't in his wives, it wasn't in his, primarily in his, in his livestock and his possessions and all these other things, even from his own earthly father, when he recognized it while he was wrestling with this person, I'm not letting go no matter how much pain I'm in. I'm grabbing onto you. And it was the pain that caused him to hold on to him. He realized in his life that this is, you're it. Unless you bless me, I'm sunk. And when pain enters our lives, I think there's a divine purpose in it to where either we are going to go and try to fix it ourselves or whatever it might be. Not to say we don't go to doctors and all that stuff. But in our soul, it should drive us to the Lord and say, God, you are it. You are it. And I'm not leaving until I hear from you, until you bless me, until I know that I know that I am yours and you are mine. And those of you who are suffering physically, I think you, you understand this sometimes a little bit more than those of us who are, you know, okay running around jumping and stuff. But it all catches up to us, doesn't it? And so... What's happening is Jacob is having this emptying in his heart and he cries out and says, hey, I'm not leaving until you bless me. And again, last week, some of you weren't here, so I'm repeating this. The Lord said to him, he replies and goes, well, what's your name? And you're like going, okay, well, what, what, just bless me. What are you, why are you saying what's your name? And he responds and he says, Jacob, which means heel catcher, deceiver. God, he couldn't manipulate God. He couldn't get the blessing out of God. He could only ask. And God turns around, and when he asks, he says, we're going to deal with something right here and right there. You can't pull out of me or trick or anything like you did with all these other people. I know who you are through and through. You're a deceiver. You're a conniver. You're a manipulator. You're all these things. How many of you like to hear this? But you see, the Lord isn't sitting there and going, he's cleansing him. He's restoring him. He's bringing out the truth that he was trying to avoid his whole life. And it's in this moment that he says, I'm Jacob. I am so messed up. And then the Lord replies. He said, your name is no longer Jacob but it's Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replies, I'm not gonna tell you that. You know who I am. It was the Lord. And he names that place. Hey, 
This is where I met the Lord. And so this powerful experiencing of wrestling with God, he had come to know the Lord 20 years before, but now the Lord was going to take it to the next level. Now, are we going to still see Jacob go back to his own ways and often? Of course. But there was something that had changed in his life, and you're going to see now intermittently his name switching back and forth between Israel and Jacob, Israel and Jacob, Israel and Jacob. And how many of us have that same type of situation? Falling after the Lord, falling after the flesh, falling after the Lord, falling after the flesh. But the Lord, he has this way of bringing us and making us different people. I call you, you know, your name is Simon. Your name is Pebble, but now I call you Peter. You're the rock. And he takes an attribute of who we were and he refines it for his purposes. He sanctifies it. It's amazing. You know, it wasn't that uh, Jacob's ability to be industrious and all this stuff was was something wrong. It's his heart in which he did it. And God was refining that in him, and he would use him as a great blessing. It wasn't that I could play guitar, and I still can't play guitar for some reason, Lord. In the world, it was my heart in using it. And he took it, and he said, now use it for me. Use it for my glory. And there was a process where the Lord just began to capture me. And this happens in us, in our lives. They're no longer our own. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a born-again Christian. I love you, Lord. I know you do. You're saved. You're my son. You're my daughter. But now let's learn to walk. And as you learn to walk in grace, and we see there's a lot of grace in the life life of Jacob, right? Four wives, a lot of problems going on. Wonderful family situation. I mean, we're going to read about it here. God's grace is overwhelming this guy, and he's bringing him to a place of a deep understanding of the Lord. And he couldn't get there without failure, and he couldn't get there without pain, and he couldn't get out there without the Lord speaking truth into his life. And how often do I want to live my Christian life without people speaking truth into it? Quite often people speak harshly, right? And that's where we get offended. But I I tell you, as Christians, we are to be salt and light. I love the light a lot, you know. But that salt, it hurts when it gets rubbed on the wound. But it sanctifies, it cleanses, it purifies us. And you are that force in my life. And I love that. You know, I can't do second best, you know. The, the elders, they get after me, not in a mean way, but they, 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 they point out things and they say, hey, let's move forward. I'm thankful for that. I don't want to stay Jacob. You know what I mean? I want to be ruled by God. And this church is part of that, how God works. It is how God works through the body. And so we're going to read some messed up stuff, but... Here we go, chapter 33. It says, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Oh, joy. And he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. And notice this. He put the female servants and their children in front. Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph with his wonderful coat in the rear. But then verse 3. I think we see a character change. He himself went on ahead. He went ahead of his family. 
And he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. There's a great humility that's been put in, in Jacob's heart and his life. Jacob already sent the gifts and showered. He didn't want to take anything materially from Esau. And then bowing down again, he's showing that he was submitted to his brother. I don't have anything after you. I don't want anything from you. I want to be a blessing, not a taker. Verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob, and he embraced him. Can you imagine the fear in Jacob's when 400 guys, and then he sees his brother running at him? It's like, okay, it's over. It's done. And Esau ran and embraced Jacob. And he threw his arms around him and his neck and kissed him, and they wept. You know, just brothers just tackled him. I miss you. 20 years. Jacob was probably terrified. But God had done a work in Esau's heart in the time that they had been apart. And I pray that this happens with us. And that in the, in the time that maybe we've been estranged, I know even this, this church has, been, has had issues in the past and there's people on the other side of town who go worship God. But, you know, I'm praying that the Lord would, after an amount of time, we would just hug each other and say, I love you. You know? Let the Holy Spirit minister to us. Because in the end, we lose when we hold on to grudges, when we hold on to things that are hurting. We're the losers. I pray the Lord would work that in my heart. Esau ran and he hugged him. You know, when I was a kid, I, I played a, I went over to my friend Brian's house, Brian Beersheard, awesome friend. You know, we used to, do crazy stuff together, but uh, his dad got one of those, uh, it used to be Price Club at the time, uh, Costco, one of those croquet sets, and we were out in the back with the mallets, and I just remember, I, we were playing, we were having fun, all that stuff, and I flipped it up, I was young, and then it landed on the, on the handle in such a way that where it cracked, it broke in half, and I was brand new, and I'm just like, oh no, and he's like, yeah, my dad's gonna be so mad, like, and I'm like, I'm out of here, and I did. I left. And, and I didn't go hang out at his house almost never again. Something so, but when you're young, you, you, you have a different, things might be bigger, bigger than you really appear, you know? And that relationship was severed because of that incident. And I remember eventually going back to his house and, and his dad, he saw me, he's like, hey, how you been? And what's on my mind, you know? I broke your mallet. You know, are you going to kill me like your son said? You know, <laughs> all this stuff. He's like, what you been up to? Where have you been? You know, and something that had been so, uh, you know, seared into my mind was not really the reality that I was facing. I think he did mention some kind of little, you know, joke about it or something at one time. But it really was different. And I'm sure... God had to work in Esau's heart, but this entire time Jacob was living in fear of his brother instead of enjoying a renewed brotherhood. Now, it might have been God's timing, obviously. I don't know. If he probably went the day after it happened, who knows what would happen. We'd be reading a different story. But Jacob, Esau and Jacob, they had missed each other. And as we'll see again, when Jacob had done, uh, what Jacob had done was water under the bridge but notice Esau didn't bring it up, did he? He didn't bring it up. But Jacob, and if you 
verses, he's very conscious of it, and he tries to make restitution, and that's important. But verse 5 says, Then Esau looked up, and he saw the women and children. He says, Hey, who are these with you? And he, he asked, and Jacob answered, Hey, these are the children that God has graciously given your servant. Notice the language. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. And next Leah and her children came down. And Esau asked, verse 8, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? What's with the waves of things here? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Wow. I have enough. God had blessed Esau. He had totally taken care of him. I have enough, man. I don't need it. Take care. Keep it for yourself. But Jacob replies in verse 10, No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift for me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you've received me favorably. Please accept the present that, you brought, that, uh, that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted two things. Uh, there's something culturally going on, on here. You do not accept gifts from enemies. And so it was important that Esau received this from a tribal aspect. It was kind of like a peace offering. We're good. And so he insisted and he accepted. In verse 11, the second thing here is it seems that this is Jacob's way of righting the wrong. Righting the wrong for taking the birthright and the blessing. It's interesting. We don't see it here the way it's translated in the NIV. Uh, but it says in verse 11, it says, please accept this present that was brought to you. That word for present is blessing. Please accept the blessing. I'm giving it back. Take it. Please accept this. And Jacob was making things right. He insisted, and Jacob uh, said, hey, take it. Esau accepted it. It was Jacob's way of apologizing, and it was Esau's way of forgiving. Kind of a guy thing, right? Minus all the hugging and stuff. Verse 12, And then Esau said, Let us be on our way, and I'll accompany you. Hey, let's get back together, brother, just like old times. Let's get on the road. Let's go, bro. Let's join forces. I'm going to travel with you. It'll be fun. But Jacob said to him, Not really, I still don't trust you, is basically what we're hearing here. My, my Lord knows that the children are tender uh, and, the, and that I must care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. And if they are driven too hard in just one day, all the animals will die. And so let my Lord go on ahead of his servant. And while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and the herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and see her, hey, I'll meet you ahead. You go on ahead, brother, and I'll, and I'll come meet you and see her. Yeah, right verse 15. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. Some of my, you get, you're, you're traveling unarmed here. Let me, let me protect you as you go. And uh, what does he say? But uh, he said, why do that? Jacob asked. Let me find favor in my eyes, my Lord. No need to leave your guys here. I'm still afraid of you. I just want to go my separate way, basically. And so Jacob still struggles with being Jacob in Israel, doesn't he? And so that day, Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. 
And that is why the place is called Sykoth. It just means, basically, it means houses or tents or, or shelters. And so, this is interesting because it's, he's the only patriarch we see here to build houses. Jacob decides to go to build houses, and he was told to go back into the land, right? Well, Sykoth is, is in between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, and it's on the east side. He's on the other side of the Promised Land. He didn't go back fully yet. He stops. And this might have been a 20-year adventure in this, in this place where he built these houses and decided to continue to raise his family. And it's not going to pay off because now he's going to go back into Padanaram, or from Padanaram back into the city of Shechem, which is in the Promised Land, verse 18. And he arrived safely at that city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within the side of the city. And this is that same type of phrase. And he pitched his tent toward Sodom and he pitched his tent toward Shechem. It was in view of the city. And now it seemed from the last chapter that the Lord was calling him back to Bethel. That's kind of what he said. Hey, I'm the Lord of Bethel. Come back to me, basically, where Jacob first met the Lord. But Jacob, after spending some time outside the promised land here, he comes into the land, but he settles in this community that is frankly going to be harsh influence upon his family. Jacob arrived safely at the city of Shechem, but he's camped within sight of the city. Verse 19, for a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. And there, there he set up an altar and called it El uh, Eloi Israel, the God of Jake, you know, the God of Israel. And so he's making a statement here in this land. Hey, I, I, this is the God I serve. Chapter 34, we're going to bust through this in 10 minutes, believe it or not. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah had, uh, yeah, this is the Christmas portion of our message. Now Dinah, the, the daughter of Leah, had born to Jacob. He went out to visit the women of the land. And when Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of the area, saw her, he took her and he raped her. The Bible commentator Henry Morris said, Unattached young women were considered fair game in the cities of the time in which promiscuity was not only common, but in fact a part of the very religious system. It was ingrained into the culture. And it's similar to, to, to today, you know, perhaps not with the religious in our society. It's, we don't have uh, that associated with sacrifice and stuff. But promiscuity and all this stuff, is, it's ingrained in our culture, a highly sexualized culture. And similar situation, and we release our sons and our daughters to visit the women of the land without being actively present in their life, without guiding those things we risk exposing them to a culture that is counter to the cross of Jesus Christ. That does not mean we're not to be in the culture, but we're not to be of it. And this is something as fathers, as brothers, that we have to look out for our daughters. You know, as grandfathers, we have to be knowing where they're going, and I don't care if you don't like it. <laughs> that is the role that God's given us, to look out for your best interests. Because people aren't going to treat you right sometimes, and they're going to take advantage of you, and you don't know it. And God's put family and men specifically around to hopefully be a protecting influence in our lives. And that is, that is a, a blessing. Now, obviously, brothers can be overbearing and all that stuff. I understand. We can be a little crazy. But this situation is, is very, it's serious. A young woman was violated. She went out to go hang out with the women of the town. And she did not expect this to happen to her. And it did. And 
this opens up a very dangerous area in our lives. Obviously, we're not to be isolationists, but I think this whole situation and the situation we're about to read could have been averted if Jacob had just went to Bethel. If Jacob had went to Bethel. He stopped short of obeying the Lord, going back into the promised land. He decided to take his family and go rough it. I don't know where. And then he pitched his tent next to this one city. It was obviously a really bad influence. And there's this pattern that is being built up to this situation. And instead of satis, you know, instead of obeying the Lord fully and going to Bethel where he first met him, he took his family on this adventure for whatever reasons. And there are consequences to that. There are always consequences to partial obedience to the Lord. We have great responsibility as parents and grandparents to be fully obedient to the Lord. Obviously, we fall short. But if this morning you know the Lord's called you to do something or to be somewhere and you're not, look out. Look out for your family. Look out because the place you want to be is in the Lord's will. That's exactly where you want to be. I can be on the other side of the planet in the middle of the jungle of the Philippines and communists surrounding me and all that stuff and I'll be right exactly where I need to be. Or even in, this, in the streets of Walla Walla. Right? So sometimes it's appropriate to say, you know, no, you're not going to go see the ladies tonight. You know, where are you going? What's going on? You know, I want to know who and and obviously to follow them and set up a network of spies. Because, <clears throat> you know, you will run into the Shechem's of the HIVites. You know what I mean? You're going to run into these guys. There's, there's scary, deadly situations out there right in front of you. And so, not that we're to go live in a hole. But I have to ask, where's Jacob? Where's brothers in this situation? Not that we can avoid all this, but there's some wisdom here. There's some wisdom here. And so, Hamar, the Hivite, uh, he violated Dinah. And verse 3 says, his heart was drawn to Dinah, uh, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to, to her. Of course he did. And this isn't love, this is lust. Verse 4, and Shechem said to his father, hey, give me this girl as my wife. And when Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields, with his livestock, and so he did nothing until they came home. And then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened, and they were shocked and furious because Shechem had, had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. Jacob held his peace. He didn't do anything. The sons are getting upset. And I like what David Guzik says about this. says, when God appointed Heads do not take appropriate leadership. It creates a void which is often filled sinfully. It's often filled sinfully. We see that in our nation. We see that in other situations. We resort to force or flesh or whatever it is to right things when godly leaders are void in a certain circumstance. So the brothers were rightfully mad, but they ha- they're going to handle this in a sinful way, and we're going to read through this last section here. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has, has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. Uh, you can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. And the Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, 
Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I'm bringing as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Let's be friends. Let's make this long term, you know? But there's an ulterior motive we're going to find out. Because the sister diner had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully. What do you know? And as they spoke to Shechem and his father, Hamor, they said to him, uh, we can't do such a thing. We can't, we can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. You're not spiritual like we are, really. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males, and then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll, be, we'll settle among you and become one, one people with you. Verse 17, but if you will not agree to this, this to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Verse 18, the proposal seemed good to Hamar and his sons of, his sons of Shechem. The young, man, uh, the, young, sorry, the young man who is the most honored of all his family members lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. And so he likes the daughter. So Hamar, his dad, and his son Shechem went to the gate of the city to speak to the men of the city, the leaders. And these, are, these men are friendly towards us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade, and trade in it. The land is pl- has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours, but the men will agree to, uh, to live with us as one people only on one condition that our males must be circumcised as they themselves are. Verse 23, this is important. This is the motive. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their animals become ours? This is the motivation of the world. So let us agree to their terms, and they will settle among us. Let's compromise, Christianity. When we compromise, what happens? The enemy will take ground. You see it in Israel today. Just compromise. Just compromise. Just give them a little land. Just do this. It'll never stop. They want more, 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 more until you're dead. Verse 24, And the men who went out of the city gate, they agreed with Hamar and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. And three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brother, right? They took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city and killed every male, the whole city. They put Hamar and his sons and Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from their Shechem's house and left. And the sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where the sister had been defiled. And they seized their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields, and they carried off all their wealth and all the women and the children, taking as plunder everything in the house. The whole situation is messed up, isn't it? It's just snowballing. Verse 30, and finishing here, it says, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious or stink to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces, forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. Selfish response by Jacob, right? Just overwhelming here. Neither he just, Jacob, for whatever reason, he didn't respond appropriately. Neither did the sons. No, their sister should, have, should not have been violated. They replied in verse 31, she should be treated this way. That was their justification for the situation. And it's sad because there's consequences for all these actions. We're going to read about that in Genesis 49. They get cut out of the will. 
they get scattered. It's just a horrible situation here. Levi has a redemptive moment later on within the golden calf scene. We'll read about that later, but there's an impact. Everyone involved here just got sin destroys. Jacob, Dinah, Simeon, Levi, the city. Jacob, just go to Bethel. I don't want to go through this in my life. Do you want to go through these things in, our, in your lives? Some of us have been through them and are going through them. Turn and go to Bethel. Go to the house of the Lord. Reunite with the Lord. Let him, let him minister to your heart. Let him clean up the mess. There's a lot to pray about here and think about, but this chapter just stinks. I don't like reading it. But when the Bible shows its leaders and its heroes in such a terrible plain truth, we can know for sure that it is a book from God. Men don't normally write about themselves and their ancestors like this. God lays it out clear. This is who these people were. This is what's going on. He shows the good, the bad, and the ugly. But church, a lot to think about here, leading our families, standing between them in danger, facing old fears, being fully obedient to the Lord, being watchful over our sons and daughters, being involved in their lives, not just letting them be growing up on in the culture, training our kids to be in, but not of the world, but first, ourselves, continually focused on the heart and the will of the Father. Leading in difficult circumstances, there's a lot here. It just keeps on going on. So, um, may the Lord lead us in His grace this week, whatever messes or blessings we find ourselves in. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And even in the difficult situations, Lord, uh, things we much rather skip over and you... Uh, you have some things to say. I pray for those who, like Dinah, have been ravaged from the consequences of evil around. And I pray that you would heal and you would restore. As she's so overlooked in this, Lord. And I pray that you would help protect and to defend the innocent. Father, would you raise up godly men Continue to empower those fathers in here to watch over their families, not in a spirit of control, but in a spirit of the authority that you've given. And may, when we come against opposition and difficult circumstances, Lord, may we just run to Bethel. We need your wisdom in our lives and our families. We need your wisdom on how to deal with the culture around us, Lord, when, they, when the deals seem so enticing when they seem so beneficial. Lord, will you give us the wisdom from your throne room to know what to do? Protect us from the Hamars of the world, Lord, and from the deals that would eventually destroy us. We love you, God. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the fellowship of believers here. We thank you for the work that you are doing in this fellowship and the love that is being poured out and the ministry that is happening in your name, and we ask that you would increase it in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the words that Karen spoke this morning. It ministered to my heart. You are good. 
and your mercy endures forever. Amen.